Restaurants Unstoppable, episode 865 with Paul Barron. I think real estate is is just another aspect of companies that are going to start tokenizing uh, real estate in the sense that more people can own it or can assist in the ownership of it. It doesn't have to be you by yourself. Are you ready for it? it factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then, join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. Today's episode is brought to you by Talk to the Manager. Nowadays, people don't want to speak face-to-face. They rather communicate via text message and keep it anonymous. Talk to the Manager allows guests to share feedback or ask questions in a way that makes them feel comfortable and is convenient to you. And I think the most valuable aspect of Talk to the Manager is that you give people an opportunity to vent before they go public and write a negative review. Sometimes people just want to be heard and talk to the manager gives them that opportunity to be heard. Plus, you don't have to worry about your information being shared. Customers won't see your personal phone number, just the phone number that talk to the manager provides. Also, with talk to the manager, it's like having a secret shopper. People will tell you any issues they come across at your restaurants, whether you want to hear them or not, but they'll be brought to your attention and that will help you improve your business. Show your guests you care enough to listen with talk Talk to the manager, head to talk to the manager.com slash unstoppable to sign up for your 60 day trial. This episode is brought to you by Diageo Bar Academy.com, a free online resource for hospitality professionals, offering resources for bartenders at all levels. And in February of 2022, Diageo Bar Academy celebrates 10 years. 10-year anniversary. Congratulations. Over the past 10 years, Diageo Bar Academy has built a global community fueled by education and inspiration. And during this time, over 120 million bar professionals across 178 countries has joined Diageo Bar Academy in physical and virtual training sessions. Whether you are a bartender, bar back, or manager, or even if you're completely new to the industry, Diageo Bar Academy has easy to access resources to help you learn new skills and stay in the loop with all the latest industry trends. Stay informed, inspired, and connected to grow your career or your business by joining Diageo Bar Academy today. Why wait? Visit www.diageobaracademy.com. That's D-I-A-G-E-O baracademy.com. Become a member and sign up for the newsletter today. It's completely free and you will be amazed at all they have to offer. That's D-I-A-G-E-O. G-E-O baracademy.com. Today's episode is brought to you by Seven Shifts. Seven Shifts is a modern labor management platform designed by restaurateurs for restaurateurs. And I have to say, I haven't come across a restaurateur using Seven Shifts that hasn't been completely satisfied. Trusted by over 500,000 restaurant professionals, Seven Shifts gives you the complete toolkit you need to easily manage your team's schedules, timesheets, communications, tasks, tips, and more all in one place. And because you are restaurant unstoppable, listeners, you get three months absolutely free. Get started at www.7shifts.com slash unstoppable. That's the number seven, S-H-I-F-T-S dot com slash unstoppable to get three months of industry leading labor management for free. What up, Unstoppables? We have a great show for you today, but a quick reminder that this podcast is 
needs your support. I'm always trying to remind you of ways you can support the show. Uh, I say you can support our sponsors. You can support our affiliates. You can join the network. But today, I'm going to try to encourage you to share today's episode because this is a really powerful episode. We, we get into some really kind of nitty-gritty, futuristic angles of the industry, and I really want to encourage people to start thinking like a futurist. Like, where are we headed? We know that technology grows exponentially. These things that we're discussing are going to be here sooner than we realize. And if we can create mass awareness of the the future and what the future looks like and how we can kind of accelerate into the future prepared, I think that's one of the, the biggest things that gets this industry in trouble is we're so head down all the time, working, grinding away. We don't pay attention to what's going on around us. So today, please share this episode if you are inspired by it, if you're excited by it. And I'll be honest, there's a lot of things that don't really excite me about today's episode. I, I don't like change, if I'm being honest. I like to do things. I like to, to have my routines. I like you know to repeat my routines consistently. But the truth is, if you want to grow, you need to evolve, you need to transform, and you need to look at the future landscape of what business looks like. So I think that's what we're going to do today is kind of give you an idea of what's possible and thinking outside the box and thinking about how you can restructure your business model to be more profitable in the future and take advantage of this technology. So really interesting conversation. Uh, we're talking to Paul Barron. So the name Paul Barron sounds familiar to you. It's because he's a repeat guest on the show. He's the author of the Chipotle effect and uh, he's the uh, founder of foodable network, foodable, uh, foodable IO, uh, a media outlet that I have a lot of respect for. They're, they're always reporting relevant things. They have access to a tremendous amount of data that supports their research and what they're, what they're pushing through their media channels. So um, really interesting stuff. And uh, Paul's latest thing is a revel network where he's going deep into the world of blockchain and NFTs. I mean, I, I don't think there's a better person we could be speaking to as far as, the worlds of, of blockchain and crypto and I don't know, Bitcoin and NFTs and the collision with the, of that colliding with the restaurant industry, because just because he's so plugged into both, we really got a great person to speak to today's topic. So uh, with no further ado, here he is, Paul Barron on the impact blockchain and NFTs will have on the restaurant industry. With excitement, allow me to introduce you today's guests, CEO and founder of Rever Networks, Inc., Paul Barron. Paul, my man, are you feeling unstoppable today? It's going to be a good one, Eric. Very I'm excited. Yeah, man. It's great to see you. Past guest on the show. Uh, you're first on the show, episode 258. And we covered your book, The Chipotle Effect. Uh, so if you guys um, did yep. not that episode, if you've not read that book, I mean, still, I mean, the book was written when, like 2010, 2011, 2010, we, we wrote that. Yep. And uh, I, I believe it's still a relevant book uh, as far as it's like, I think history, like you said before, before the recording history re- repeats itself, right. We're constantly mm-hmm. evolving and, and a great book. Uh, check out that episode. Also, I should mention uh, Paul is the publisher and founder of fastcasual.com and qsr.com. Uh, and you are the founder and chairman of Foodable Network. And uh, you, I don't know how you do it, man. Uh, <laughs> but is it safe to say you're kind of transitioning and in, in, in having a new focus on the world of blockchain and NFTs 
And is, is that, are you shifting away from the, the restaurant world or are you kind of, are you still managing both? What's going on? So, uh, so Rever Networks was formed uh, last year um, during COVID that essentially moved us into kind of a, a, a new area for what we were trying to focus in on, which is really a, com- a conversation around technology and how it affects so much in, in business in general. Obviously, food service is a big part of that. But you know, my background, which I'll go into in a minute, that kind of ties it all together, was um, kind of a catalyst for this shift in requirements. So Foodable Network still is a, a big part of our studio. We produce, um, you know, gosh, six different podcasts over there. The Restaurant Report, Chef AF, uh, Fast Casual Nation is a big one. Accelerate, which is our to-go uh, takeout and delivery podcast. Uh, and then you have uh, Rever Networks, which has another new entity underneath it, which is just Paul Barron Network. And that is a technology investing and crypto uh, focus. And uh, we started that about, um, oh gosh, the concept came up around three years ago and really started spinning that out into, you know, into a product last year. It was actually January when we launched um, that product. Yeah. And I will, I will go ahead and give a plug for uh, the Foodable Network. I mean, that's kind of one of my secrets that my, one of my go-tos where I go to kind of stay w- to, at, at breast with what's going on or abreast with what's going on. Yeah. I mean, you guys are, I mean, Paul knows his stuff. And he's a, there's a reason why I invited him to be here today. He, you're, I mean, I would consider you, you identify as a futurist, somebody who's constantly looking to the future. Oh, so, yeah. So I think we should get into it, but it is a uh, tradition here to start every episode off with a success quote or mantra. So what do you got for us? I think my mantra right now is, uh, has been a shift really from, and you have to understand the the background of where I came from, which was computer science. I mean, my, my, my degree is in computer science. My first job was working for Microsoft. Um, and that's how I fell into food. And I kind of, kind of explain that. But one thing that has always been on my mind is kind of the next evolution of, of technology that fixes things. And uh, right now it's kind of the, the theme I'm working on is blockchain fixes that problem that um, I think so many businesses face on a day in and day out basis. So blockchain fixes everything. Mm. And I, I still don't understand how it does, but we're going to get into that. <laughs> we're going to hold that. But before we get into yep. the deep details of blockchain, why should we be listening to you? What makes you an expert on this subject? Why, why sure. are we have our ears open? So my, my story started um, in college uh, really just as a geek that kind of grew up in understanding the early stages of computer science. This was back when uh, essentially you had the 8088 processor that was um, starting to make its way into PCs and motherboards that essentially kind of revolutionized the use of computers. And my job, my first job was being recruited by the FBI. Um, and essentially my job was going to be probably at some point working on uh, computer systems and uh, cyber terrorism, essentially what we call cyber terrorism today. But instead, I uh, went to a job fair and ended up taking um, a project with Microsoft. And my goal with Microsoft was to essentially re-engineer a product, which was at that time Windows 2.0. 
And Windows 2.0 was in its uh, really kind of in its uh, early stage of development. It was right after Microsoft had essentially evolved from a, a DOS operating system into uh, what what now is known as Windows. And the evolution was to try to interface um, what Windows was trying to do with the retail sector. So they charged me with essentially creating point of sale systems for restaurants. And that was where I got involved into the restaurant industry, uh, spent about five to six months of the year in Asia, traveling throughout, mostly through managing developers and computer science geeks, engineers, all that kind of stuff to develop uh, point of sale systems. So we're going back uh, to like mid nineties, correct? It was 1993. Yeah. 1993. What yeah. the heck was it about the restaurant industry that made you stick around for 30 years after that? So I started uh, consulting. Uh, so Microsoft had, you know, we were still a growing company at the time. Uh, this is pre-internet era. Okay. And, uh, you know, I, I worked directly with Steve Ballmer, Bill Gates, um, saw that evolution that was really starting to happen when, uh, essentially, Tim Berners-Lee um, put basically HTML on the, on the map uh, and the World Wide Web and what we were seeing with uh, everything from, you know, AOL and the startups, Netscape, Napster, if you were in the music side, all that was being born literally at the time in which uh, many of these things were were happening for me. But what what was the difference was, is Microsoft was charged by a lot of major companies, Starbucks, Panera Bread, McDonald's, Taco Bell to essentially kind of transition to their technology stack at that at that era into a new wave of point of sale. And I was the lead guy. So my job was working directly with a lot of these major restaurant companies. And I just fell in love with the people uh, was really what drew me into it. And before you knew it, I was a tech guy that uh, converted to a food guy. <laughs> yeah. What was it about the people that you just hit a vein with me? Cause that's what I love about this industry. <clears throat> what draws me back to this industry? Yeah. Is well, what is it about the people for you that just is so you, so, you know, the, the, my best friends and closest friends of, of life have all come from the restaurant industry. And I, and it's a different kind of passion that I can't quite put a finger on because um, there's, there's a certain, challenge and it's kind of like the warrior code if you've ever been in battle or war or any kind of really hard you know situation in life um there's people you can count on and people you can't and one thing i found about leaders in the restaurant industry is these guys carry this this kind of unspoken warrior code in in my opinion they they're they're ready to take on anything nothing is ever too great in terms of a challenge and at the end of the day they kind of look back and it's not them that did it it was the team Mm -hmm. you know so to me that kind of separated them from the pack quite a bit in terms of just one realizing you know great mentors uh unbelievable men you know i've been uh, involved with my first mentor was, uh, you know, a, you probably know him, Ron Shake, you know, with Panera Bread. So his break off of when Panera was really launched. Uh, then you look at Troy Smith, the founder of uh, Sonic Drive In. Great stories of these two guys that kind of helped me foster my early career. One, one story I'll share with you. Um, Troy Smith, founder of Sonic Drive In, uh, you know, lives in Edmond, Oklahoma. 
um, met him as he was transitioning out as the chairman of the board for Sonic at the time. Uh, we're about 600 uh, un- or excuse me, around uh, 1600 units at the time, one of the largest uh, QSR chains out there. And I was consulting for them. Patty Moore was their current CEO. She is now the chair over at Red Robin. Uh, Phil uh, Hudson at the time was their uh, current chairman of the board. So a lot of these guys still stick around to the industry. But the point was, Troy, um, I was pitching the concept of fast casual <laughs> to, to them of what I felt like I saw happening. And uh, he was the guy that essentially kind of told me that I was onto something and I shouldn't quit at, at whatever cost. So but anyway, those are the kind of things in stories, I think, that really just draw in uh, a very interesting attachment to the people in this industry. Yeah. So I, I, if I derailed your, uh, your train of thought, the, the original question was, uh, why should we be listening to you? And I asked why you love people. So yeah. You want to pick up that train of thought, but I didn't want to. Yeah, sure. So, so my job uh, at Microsoft was really to solve the tech stack solution uh, for point of sale and uh, was able to do that. Um, at one time, I had 300 developers that were working under my direction worldwide. Um, and then I went into consulting, really spoke and worked on the technology side. And then my career kind of got sidetracked with this thing called the internet. And uh, at that time, it was about publishing and I was not a publisher. I wasn't a writer. I wasn't a media person, but uh, fast casual kind of grew on me. And I started a blog at that time they weren't called blogs, but uh, it was an early era of what we know now, uh, you know, from content publishing. And that was really kind of the launch of it. And um, that's kind of what sidestepped me into the media business, but my underlying you know, love is really technology. And and I think everybody knows that that has ever met me yeah. is that n- no matter what area of the industry I was working in, tech was always the driving force uh, for the future. Yeah. So the original question, why should we be listening to you? The answer, the short and sweet answer is because we got a super nerd on our hands and uh, <laughs> he's plugged in. He's our super nerd. And I cannot wait to pull back the layers on you, man. Uh, yeah. so- why don't we just get like super aerial real quick and just assume that some of our listeners out there uh, right. don't know the first thing about blockchain, uh, what cryptocurrency means, what F, uh, sorry, what um, NFTs are. Uh, like, just get into like the most basic definitions of what these things are to help under- help us understand what we're talking. Sure. about. Sure, this is a question I get a lot because the conversation is always why is this different? What what makes it unique? Uh, and why do we need it? You know, that's really usually the the bigger question. You know, from a cryptocurrency standpoint, a lot of people look at it just simply as a new asset class, which is in basic, um, you know, uh, in basic elements, that's what it is uh, for investment. But the the core behind those asset classes is more of what I'm interested in, which is the technology, the underlying technology that runs it. Um, Bitcoin, of course, is kind of the OG of cryptocurrency. It's one the one immutable blockchain out there that uh, essentially has a limited supply that makes it so valuable. It's uh, kind of a lot of people refer to it as digital gold. It's a new asset class that could potentially rival gold at some point in terms of the total valuation. So let's let's but, dump it down even more, Paul. What is an, What do you mean by an asset class? I mean, this okay. Is, so asset class: stocks, bonds, uh, real estate. Uh, you know, any kind of municipals. The asset classes that most people will invest in are going to be mutual funds, IRAs, um, stocks, bonds, real estate, 
businesses, uh, blockchain, and the cryptocurrency or crypto assets uh, have emerged really in 2017 was, was I feel, when, um, when this really started to break out. I was tracking it all the way back in 2012 when, when Bitcoin really came onto the scene. I felt like it was very fascinating because of just the uh, technology behind what blockchain represented. But I felt like it was way too early. And I had been down this road before of being way too early um, and knew what what kind of challenges were ahead of it. So uh, for me, it was just monitor and observe. Um, but as an asset class now, what has happened since 2017 is there's been a whole slew, tens of thousands of projects that are based on a variety of blockchain that is basically developed on a couple uh, areas of code that kind of run blockchain. Solidity is one of the key uh, platform development codes that's being used, Rust. Then you've got Haskell for different uh, code sets that are essentially being utilized to create these this technology. Uh, but But Bitcoin being the OG, uh, what essentially it's allowing people to do is invest in something that is appreciating in value. That's the yeah. core element. In my in my understanding, money in its most basic form, what it is is just something that we can all agree on that that has value. And gold trust, is arguably, yeah, it's just like we all agree that this thing has value, and this is approximately what the value is. And we can assign. We it, it made moving things around possible because there is one thing we could, can trade that we all agreed had value, right? Right. So it kind of it liquefied transactions. Is that exactly? Yep. Form of money. So this is just the most latest basic form of we all agree this thing has value, and it's really just like you said, it's trust. It's 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 a, it's an in like the value in money and all things that we use as currency is really just a. Untangible, or sorry, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Intangible. It's not. It's 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 an agreement. It's weird how we think about it, but it's like it's not a real thing in a sense. Yeah, and, and I think with with blockchain and with what crypto has done is it's really kind of opened up the eyes to a lot of people in uh, in terms of what digital assets are today, um, and a lot of that is being really kind of re formatted right now for a variety of industries, including food service. Food service, I feel like, is one of the sectors, along with retail, banking. And when you think back on the internet era of the internet and its birth, restaurants were actually one of the last you know, areas of industry sectors that truly adopted the, um, the use case of internet, of what the internet is today. today. And of course, if we had only had you know, online e-commerce in 1996 when we were really struggling with that kind of development and just the whole idea of trusting our credit card on a place called the internet, which was the, the same. I mean, the funny thing is, is you know, my, my background in tech is 25 plus years. I'm seeing the same arguments that I saw for the internet in 1993, 94, 95 that I'm seeing today for blockchain. And, you know, it's just one of those interesting things. I've seen this movie before. Yeah. And maybe we can get into what some of those arguments are, but real quick, uh, some basic definitions. Uh, an NFT stands for a non-interchangeable unit of non-fungible. data. Sorry, non-fungible. Non-fungible. Yep. Okay. I, I wrote that, but for some reason, it must have autocorrected me. Yeah, that's weird. Thank you. Yep. Um, non-fungible uh, unit. So, th- so that's like the actual, the type of currency. And then 
uh, blockchain is the digital ledger. So what are the difference? Like, cause I feel like people yeah. you're change these words. So like, what are the, yeah. So a non-fungible token is, uh, is simply a utility inside what blockchain utilizes. And it, it essentially, uh, enables you to create an asset, uh, for any kind of use case. It could be, you know, a non-fungible token could be a, you know, an in real life ticket to your podcast, um, live show, you could create an NFT for that. Um, and the only reason that it's unique and different is because with an NFT, they're designed to be immutable, unchangeable. That's the key thing that really makes it secure. And it's also why uh, people are utilizing it for art, uh, digital assets and collectibles. We'll see the comic industry moving in this direction. If you look at what has happening with VV and Disney, um, which is a huge uh, digital collection now of of mainly Disney characters that are being launched on, as NFTs within these apps. So the comic book collector of yesterday is the NFT collector of tomorrow. But that's not where it stops. Uh, the NFT can go way deep into the business ecosystem in ways that I'm not ev- sure everyone completely understands yet. And, and it's okay because... Most people, when I sit down and talk with them about what crypto means to uh, business in general, a lot of times when they walk out, it, it's kind of like when you walked out of a meeting in the early or late 2000s or uh, 1990s and realized that we were about to see a, a, an unbelievable shift in business because of technology, mainly the web. And I think that's what we're dealing with right now. It's literally a gold rush that's happening in front of our eyes. Yeah. So um, the other thing that I, I kind of wanted to probe you on is this idea that it's decentralized. So it's a fixed. It's fixed, meaning it can't change. Like you, if you only create a hundred type of a blockchain or um, NFT, there'll always be a hundred, and the value of that's changing over time, right? Uh, yeah. The other side of this is that it's it's uh, decentralized. What's the significance of it being? Yeah. So decentralization is probably one of the core elements that is. Um, the backbreaker of the problem of technology today. So what we're dealing with uh, our current web 2.0 uh, tech stack is, and a lot of people don't understand this, but when you really break it down and understand what kind of uh, exploits and uh, cyber terrorism that is occurring within web 2.0, a lot of people would be surprised. You you probably recognize these things as when your credit card gets hacked and it's being utilized at Home Depot and, and those kind of things. That's what a real world case scenario is. But for the common person, those are the kind of things that would completely be eliminated with decentralized technology. The other problem that it faces is with most uh, technology, almost everything is hackable. So uh, nothing is secure. It uh, doesn't matter if you're in the NSA, if you're a bank down the street, or if you're an institution like McDonald's that gets their loyalty rewards hacked for their monopoly game, doesn't matter if it's if it's a target based on value, it's a target for a hacker. So the the problem is centralization with all of those kinds of systems. Everything from your credit card processing system, your uh, contacts, your real estate, anything that you're centralizing is now a target. Uh, decentralization becomes a problem for hackers because there is no one home place. And that creates uh, a much more uh, secure layer. Uh, in, in essence, the blockchain could be the one thing that would completely eliminate 
fraud. Now, there will always be scams, but those are going to come with the early stages of any kind of uh, early stage markets that are being developed, such as the internet was always always looked at in 1996 and 97, as if you're on the internet, you're a scammer or you're a criminal. Um, <laughs> when I uh, was working in that phase of developing basically websites and starting to really move in that position, my mother even asked me, you know, what is this internet thing? It's a fad. Why are you wasting all this time? You should be working for the FBI, <laughs> you know, those kind of things. And I'm like, honey, mom, this is, this is going to change the planet. <laughs> you know, we're, we're talking about something big here. Yeah. Well, good, good, good foresight. Uh, and I think the other thing um, that came to my mind um, is this idea that it's, it's open. Uh, so when you're thinking centralization, you're also thinking banks, right? Yep. So when you open it up, you also take the middleman out, which yes. I think, so what's the significance of that element? Yeah. So you hit on something right there that probably is the number one um, issue with blockchain, mostly from a regulatory standpoint, a government standpoint, uh, and even a business standpoint to a certain extent, is that with blockchain, um, it has the potential to essentially leapfrog the financial system. If you were to just say on the financial side of things, let's forget about the other utility aspects of what blockchain will mean in the future. But uh, an example would be you're a restaurant, you decide to take, you know, Ethereum uh, as payment. Uh, You no longer need a bank to process that payment. You're no longer processing a merchant fee with your credit card. Instead, you have a wallet that's attached to your website, which someone who also has Ethereum, when they go go there, they're not putting in a credit card. They're putting a direct link into their own wallet that holds that Ethereum. Ethereum now becomes currency because you've just purchased a burrito with Ethereum. Um, we're going to see more and more of that implementation. I mean, you've seen Mark Cuban put Doge on on the acceptance layer of how they're accepting, um, you know, payment for uh, gear and things of that nature. Among among many other uh, major companies that are now accepting uh, cryptocurrency. Um, just to give you an example of our own business, you know, fifty percent of our revenue for half of our of our entire business uh, is done in crypto. And wow. 2 years ago I would have looked at that and said this will never happen, you know, the transition uh, can never come. Uh when Coinbase went public this year, uh it really kind of um created a a new era I think in people understanding of what cryptocurrency is, but now, you know, we have businesses, vendors that are asking to be paid in cryptocurrency and it's a variety of, you know, whether it's USDC or it's maybe another stable coin like Tether, or maybe it's a tradable asset like Bitcoin or Ethereum, Solana, Cardano. I mean, there's a you know there's a hundred different major tier one uh, classes in that area. I mean, how many different types of Bitcoin will there be before that? Just like by inc- yeah. constantly inventing new Bitcoins, we're just diluting the process and like taking the value. I don't know if you think about how many currencies are there in the in the world right now. I mean, you've got 126 different currencies. You've got uh, countries that are utilizing now Bitcoin as a uh, legal tender, whether it's El Salvador and what they've done in their country. What we'll see eventually is a, is a digital dollar, uh, both from a G7, I think, or a GA comp- country that eventually will go to a US uh, DC, which is a US centralized uh, digital currency. And when we see something like that, 
uh, digital currency starting to go into a major country uh, to replace and or augment their current fiat system, the, then at that point, blockchain has arrived and um, the shift will occur. It's, it's going to be 2001. Yeah. You know, and if you think about the dot bomb in 1999, uh, gosh, I don't know. I was in Silicon Valley at the time. There were th- tens of thousands of startups that were just invading the Internet with every kind of e-commerce, you know, scam you could imagine. Um, web van, Peapod, let's just say in the food side. Uh, then you went uh, into all sorts because essentially what you had at that time was e-commerce became self, you know, kind of sentient. And we had the the launch. And of course, at that time, that was when the dot bomb hit and we lost one point seven trillion in overall assets when about in about 18 months uh, across about 200 companies uh, in Silicon Valley. And it almost destroyed that industry. But instead, what happened was something very interesting. And that was that the birth of all the billionaires that you see walking around the planet today. Elon Musk, Peter Thiel, Jeff Bezos, Mark Benioff, all those guys were born in 2000 at the, at the death of what was all the, the froth also uh, out of that rose the Phoenix. And that was a lot of these companies that became monsters, including guys like Jack Dorsey and, you know, Ev who were essentially beginning the startup of what would eventually be known as Twitter. Uh, with their project called Odeo. Uh, same thing with Zuckerberg while he was at uh, Harvard um, and, and MIT. Those guys were all building in in the same framework of post-2000. So that's essentially what we're looking at right now. So <clears throat> one reading an article over at qsrmagazine.com, uh, one of the things I, uh, I picked up on is this idea that with Bitcoin, everything is quote-unquote opens up and the example they're they're talking about in this article is that like you can now use bitcoin for loyalty programs for example yeah uh say if you have five concepts uh you can use you buy a burger at one concept and then you can you know build loyalty you can use that loyalty to go buy a salad at another concept and within that restaurant group you can things become interchangeable like so in other words they say that it opens things up but really what does it mean by how bitcoin yeah. opens things up so the blockchain is very interesting because when uh, Satoshi created the blockchain concept, the idea was uh, a fully open code base and a fully open chain in which it doesn't know that it's Eric um, or Paul, but it knows that that particular wallet has a certain number of transactions of which I can see on every one out there. If you go to a website called Whale Watch, you can look at the most um, you know, the most uh, rich wallets in the world uh, transacting in Bitcoin and many digital assets on a day in day out basis, every minute of the day. Uh, But what blockchain does is it opens up all of that to, uh, which can you imagine if you think about it this way, can you imagine if your bank account was wide open to the world? In other words, it can see every transaction that's happening. Now it doesn't know that it went to, you know, to buy a Chipotle burrito or it went to invest in, you know, an online service. doesn't matter. It just says, okay, $32 was spent on that in that wallet. Uh, At this time, it was transacted and settled all in the blockchain and anybody can look at it. Now, there are some arguments in this for security Mm -hmm. because 
when you think about security, the blockchain is is tremendously secure, but it's also tremendously open. And um, decentralization also is another scenario that could be very interesting because at some point we could see government agencies that could essentially understand a lot more about people's finances. And that's the reason that a digital currency or a central bank digital currency could become the holy grail for governments to be able to track people uh, and how they spend their money. Now, if you get to a CBDC level, now we're getting into very dystopian potentials. But I think what we'll see before that is more openness around variety of chains and assets, whether it's Bitcoin or Ethereum or any of those things. I know I'm getting into the, to where it starts to go very deep, but the point is, is that the opportunities right now are immense. What do you mean by dystopian potential? Well, I mean, okay, let's just say bad actors, you know, let's use Russia, for example, you know, we already have some countries that have, or China, uh, let's use anyone that, that controls their population to a certain extent. Uh, if you go to a central bank digital currency in Russia, which Russia right now is exploring, now every digital wallet is tied to that bank. And if Russia decides, you know, listen, this guy is not a good Russian citizen, uh, we need to control his access to funds. A central bank digital currency essentially eliminates the need for banks, regional banks, national banks, Chase Manhattan, doesn't matter. All that would be eliminated and so be sucked up. A centralized form eliminates banks, but doesn't also a decentralized form? Only, well, you see, what you're talking about is two. Uh, two variables here. One is a centralized currency, a CBDC, a digital dollar, a digital ruble, whatever it might be, or the alternative, Bitcoin, Ethereum, other digital assets. Now, that's those are the ones that probably threaten the sovereignty of nations more so than anything because of the fact that people can trade upon them uh, for goods and services without the need for um, a fiat a fiat system. Yeah. That becomes a problem for governments. Uh, so I think we're going to see at some point regulatory scenarios that we'll see the two sides at some point start to merge. Now, digital assets, just like a piece of real estate or a stock or a bond, when you sell those, you're going to get taxed. It's the same thing with crypto. It's the same thing with any digital asset or an NFT. If you own a comic book that's worth you know, $100,000 because it's a first edition Spider-Man or you, you own that same comic book in an NFT in a VV app, also worth $100,000. If you sell it, that's, a, that's income to you. So now it's even more traceable in the blockchain. I think the IRS actually is going to love this because they're going to have uh, immutable records Honestly. and yeah, immutable records uh, that are completely open. Uh, but at the same time, it also creates uh, for a very interesting and more creative person uh, in terms of tax loopholes, and yeah. things of that nature. In one way, I, w- I want to give my my good friend, Peter Lazar, a shout out here because we had a very long conversation when I was in Tampa, uh, Florida. He was driving me around, introducing me to some of the restaurateurs out there. Huge geek when it comes to blockchain. And the way he was explaining it to me, which I think I absorbed correctly, is this idea that it just liquefies the world. So it does. Anything that you have that is an asset, you can instantly, if you're trying to get money for uh, to open a restaurant, anything that you have that is of an asset of value, you can tokenize, you can instantly tokenize, liquefy it and get re- trade, trade value, trade like to whatever, to get yep. whatever you need. 
to to open your restaurant, for example, and it's and it's instantaneous. Yeah, it's kind of like crowdfunding to a certain extent. I think we'll see some SEC regulation that is already at um, you know at the 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 door of the beast right now, uh, and that of course is the SEC and their um, their case against Ripple, which is essentially the will be the landmark case against blockchain. If yeah. the SEC wins against Ripple that it was a security, then the likelihood of a lot of these assets will be certified as securities, which requires a lot more KYC, know your customer connections and requirements, which is a typical investment class uh, that you see across anything. That I actually invite. I think that is something that's needed. The problem that, uh, that I see with the SEC is that there are, right now, there's about 10,000 different um, crypto projects out there. And there's probably going to be in the next five years, 20,000 to 50,000 of those crypto projects worldwide. The biggest issue that I see right now with government regulatory issues that could, could approach is stifling um, innovation. And what I mean by that is if you think, if you look back and when I was working with Microsoft in the nineties, uh, uh, we got in trouble because uh, we essentially started requiring the computer builders to use our operating system for IE Explorer. Uh, that essentially was starting to isolate the browser uh, to where you can only use Internet Explorer on Dell machines, et cetera. So we got in trouble for that for antitrust. Microsoft took it on the chin, paid a big fine, not much compared to today's standards, recovered from that. Microsoft, of course, is now on an open system. Um Right now, the problem with blockchain is that the world around us is building on it. The United States, it's still somewhat illegal to be involved in any of these kinds of startups and innovations because you're a U.S. citizen. That's a problem because it enables uh, really new technology centers to be born. In other words, you wouldn't have a Silicon Valley if that had been the case with the early days of the Internet. If we had put that kind of restriction on investors and on the evolution of the investment class, um, none of none of what we know in Silicon Valley and us being the United States, probably being the number one power in terms of internet technology companies, that may not be the case in blockchain. We mm-hmm. we may have actually already lost our position. Well, that's not good. <laughs> no, it's not. That's why I'm on this the show today, yeah. Eric. I'm trying to spread the word. So we're going to take our first break to thank our sponsors, and we'll be right back to kind of start to unpackage some of these intersections of where blockchain uh, intersects the restaurant industry. Today's episode is brought to you by Talk to the Manager. Look, nowadays, people rather send you a text message than speak to you directly face-to-face. That's just the way people choose to communicate, and there's not much we can do about it. Or is there? Talk to the manager allows guests to share feedback or ask questions in a way that makes them feel comfortable and is also convenient to you. Don't worry about personal information being shared. Customers won't see your personal phone number, just the number that Talk to the Manager provides. You can even delegate customer feedback and divide the workload amongst your managers. Multiple managers can receive these texts. When one manager replies to a customer, the other staff will see their responses too. What I personally love most about Talk to the Manager is that you can fix issues immediately in private before complaints go public online. Many times when people 
do write a negative review, it's because they just want to be heard. And talk to the manager gives them that outlet to be heard before they bring it publicly and drag your name through the mud. Plus, with talk to the manager, get issues brought to your attention, whether it's an issue with your restaurant's service, product, or facility. Your guests will let you know whether you want to hear it or not, but this will help you improve. Using talk to the manager is so intuitive that no technology is required. If you can send a text message, you can use talk to the manager. Show guests you care enough to listen with talk to the manager. Head to talk to the manager.com slash unstoppable to sign up for your 60 day trial. That's www.talktothemanager.com slash unstoppable. We're back. And again, a little shout out to my friend, uh, Peter Lazar, who kind of helped me put together this list of where I'm calling them intersections points uh, where blockchain kind of intercept the world of restaurants. And what I have written down, real estate finance, uh, loyalty, uh, supply chain or food tracing, uh, payments, branding, metaverse, and then uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight intersection points. Uh, hopefully pretty, I don't know, quickly, but not too... I don't know. <laughs> uh, I'm going to try to stay on track. It's going to be a challenge. Uh, but let's start with just real estate. Um, uh-huh. Actually, I think there was one thing I wanted to talk about. And I don't know if this is an intersection or just more generally, but how does this affect user experience? Well, um, in terms of retail user experience yeah. or digital user experience, I mean, I guess it's one and the same now because it's all, or is it not? I don't see. I really don't understand. Well, if you walk into a restaurant, the user experience is going to have uh, unique aspects from a, a technology standpoint. Uh, yeah. There should not be a point of sale system in the store anymore in five years. Um, I know the POS guys would hate to hear that, but essentially, all of that should disappear. Everything should be in the cloud. All things should be mobile. That in itself will have you know huge uh, ramifications, not only on technology but also just uh, in unit buildouts. The other aspect I think we'll see uh, in terms of, especially around blockchain, is starting to see source supply things of that nature that start to play into it. Where you know literally uh, with a scan of a QR code, you'd have you know uh, a, a complete provenance of everything in terms of ingredients. If you're a vegan, if you're you know a person that is really into certain kinds of meats, all those kind of things can be tied into blockchain traceability. So traceability gets to be very interesting. Uh, the removal of technology, loyalty systems, uh, online ordering, remote ordering, all those things will be impacted by blockchain within the next five years. Okay. So on the, um, the, the retail side, no more POS system on the digital side, on the digital side, wow. But okay, now we now you start rolling into probably an uh, a ready player one kind of environment. Uh, yeah, and because you know, with real estate, uh, the potential for uh, digital assets to be built in the metaverse. Think of it as your website that you've spent so much money building for the last decade putting in e commerce loyalty systems, mapping, geo targeting. Um, you know, tracebacks, backlink systems that trace every use case scenario of a user that enters your website. All of that could be in the metaverse, which essentially is the next internet. It's Web3. And uh, within that, you'll have uh, potential virtual experiences. But in, in the early stages, it'll be 2D. Uh, so just mobile visual experience like what you and I are, are doing right now. It's a 2D experience. But that will eventually change at some point. Now, obviously, Facebook, aka Meta, 
you know, they're trying to go in that direction. I still feel that, you know, I have strong opinions about that, that that's still a closed garden and that the openness of the blockchain will probably eliminate that. But if you think about the metaverse, let's just use Chipotle as an example. Number one, digital, uh, I would say one of the number one digital brands out there in terms of success, the amount, their ability to transition during the pandemic to a lot more uh, takeaway and digital services. Probably now I would think close to 40% of their sales being digital. Imagine that uh, being in a whole new environment within a metaverse for an experience. So instead of you just going onto your app and building your burrito, uh, you might be seeing this burrito uh, virtually built, which is kind of interesting. That may increase upsell and may increase more uh, premium ingredient opportunities that could be added to that order. That you virtually built. Are you saying I have my goggles on and I'm seeing that? Let's just say that's an AR component inside your mobile app, which is already being done today uh, with some of Apple's uh, new code sets that enable, you know, AR, augmented reality. So the likelihood of that uh, potentially being real is going to be something. The other aspect of this is because there's going to be so much draw to the metaverse, which is Web3, the new internet, that eventually that's where all the cool kids will be, just like the early days of the internet. It's where... Uh, all of the main influencers will be, and it's where all of the entertainment will start to go, which is going to be gaming, music, et cetera. Because of that, it draws in uh, all the brands. So whether you're Givenchy or you're Gap or you're Chipotle, it doesn't really matter. The idea is that you're trying to get out and be relevant and be in front of the the trends. No different than what happened in 2007 when social media started and everybody looked around and said, do we need a Facebook page? Uh, What's a Twitter account? Uh, Those are the kind of decisions that are happening in boardrooms today with restaurants going, do we need to really consider Sandbox? Maybe we should look at Decentraland. Or is there a new metaverse that is being built out there that we should be a startup with and building on? Um, The likelihood of branding is going to be the first big gold rush. Uh, for it and next will be loyalty and then will be utility okay so i feel like <laughs> it's a lot to take in um uh i have some other questions i'm going to save to the end but so yeah we kind of talked about the user experience and you, you're touching on some of the things i was hoping to go deeper into again the the, the talking points i have in front of me real estate loyalty supply chain payments mm-hmm. branding metaverse which you already got into a little bit hr and culinary aspects starting with the top real estate finance how how is this going to really affect the restaurant industry in terms of real estate finance? Yeah, tokenization is is going to be key with uh, with crowdfunding today. It's it's a pretty typical model. Um, now, companies and individuals have the ability to do some crowdfunding out there right now with with a lot of the investor laws that were updated. You don't have to have as much accredited investors involved. Uh, there's some regulatory requirements that I think we'll probably start to see. Uh, that will evolve just because of what we'll see in uh, in blockchain in general. If you think about the Constitution DAO that just recently tried to buy, you know, the Constitution, a, an actual certified copy of the comp- Constitution, they raised a lot of money, but they were, you know, unsuccessful in in obtaining the asset. So that could be, and that was a tokenized model. Um, we're seeing this in uh, fine art, where fine art is being purchased, held. And then uh, people can buy tokens, uh, which is a portion of that asset. So imagine if your community, uh, you are a restaurant, let's say you're a chef in Cincinnati 
you have a big following, you have a couple of restaurants, you want to open your third restaurant and you go to the bank. The bank says, hey, you're a little over leveraged, um, probably not a good idea for you to, to take out another loan. Uh, but instead, what you do is you tokenize uh, certain aspects of your business to raise funds. And uh, within that, you start to create a whole environment of new digital value for your brand. So you've been building your digital brand for the past decade. You're uh, maybe you're a renowned chef at some point, your recipes, your videos, your podcasts, your content, uh, maybe your ingredient design. Uh, at some point, maybe you're talking about building a product to go to um, Whole Foods or something of that nature. All of that could become tokenized and built on an investment class that could be created into raising funds. That's usually done through an NFT or through some sort of tokenized aspect. So let's say you just wanted to buy a piece of real estate and you said, I'm going to token, I'm going to buy the real estate, but I'm going to tokenize it. And we're going to launch it as a DAO, a decentralized autonomous organization. And that DAO essentially is the group. The management is going to own that piece of real estate in which I will be a part of that. This is where it gets really complicated in the sense of how contracts and uh, in real world environments will be created in the future. The likelihood is we'll see a lot more uh, crowdfunding. And I think the investors, or I should say the VCs are probably more concerned about this than anything because it removes the need for venture capital at the large layer. It's why a lot of these uh, projects are launching now on these things called um, launch pads. And it's the same thing. I, I see restaurants of the future launching on launch pads instead of just technology. I want I got a new idea for a brand. I want to launch it on a launch pad. The launch pad could be a company like ours that says, hey, listen, we're, we have a big reach and we can tokenize that brand and raise capital for you through thousands of investors. Now, that's the problem that we have in the United States is because that's not legal here in the US. Outside the US, no SEC requirements. Now, if the SEC at some point says, hey, we're going to make this uh, something that is uh, regulated, but it's just like a Series D or a Reg D, uh, if you're raising up to a million dollars, you just file a Reg D with the SEC and that would be the way you would do it. But it's through a crowdfunded, uh, decentralized approach toward obtaining that capital. And then you just, you know, it's a matter, a matter of creating that as a uh, investment class and boom, you got a wallet and there's your money for your brand to start. And you have a thousand investors. So simply put, you're able to liquefy all of your assets. And yes. That's, I mean, you dropped a lot on us. I'm trying <laughs> to keep up, uh, but for the sake of trying not to get too lost, I think we can move on. Unless there's anything else you want to say in terms of how this is going to affect the, the real estate world. Do we miss anything? No, I think real estate is, is just another aspect of uh, companies that are going to start uh, tokenizing uh, real estate in the sense that more people can own it or can assist in the ownership of it. It doesn't have to be you by yourself to say. Yeah. The thing that gets me excited about this is I think that it is kind of, um, it's a kind of an equalizer. It's a, do you see this being good for the middle class? Is this going to like big time? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Big time for the middle class. That's what I'm thinking. Yeah. Right now, the, the investment opportunity for the average Joe has never been there and, and they're getting a shot now to buy into this early tech um, imagine if you could have bought in pre-IPO to Amazon. 
that's essentially what a lot of uh, blockchain and crypto investors are getting the chance to do today. So it's making, making a lot of millionaires. It's making some billionaires. And um, the cool thing is it's really opening up the eyes of a lot of innovators and creators to kind of go to that next level. Yeah. You got me interested in that being a creator. I'm like, well, where can I get in on this? Uh, but maybe it's a conversation for another day off the recording. Um, so loyalty uh, is the next bullet point I have here. Yep. We talked a little bit about loyalty, but kind of really break that down and distill that. Yeah. Just, just uh, loyalty is probably the easiest uh, because if you do uh, enter into whether it's a payment system or just a loyalty system that's using blockchain as the traceability of it, um, the advantage that this has is being an open network, the potential for a first open development in terms of the software required to develop a loyalty platform. You no longer have to utilize the traditional um, rails that are out there for loyalty systems. There's probably, I'd say, 15 different loyalty companies in uh, in the U.S. right now for for restaurants. Okay, If this were to evolve any good major chain worth their salt that has any kind of tech dev in in their roster that are their IT team, the likelihood is they could build their own loyalty system on blockchain. They would not need, if they could ever get mass adoption with it, it would, it, it would completely eliminate the loyalty-based companies. So I do see a lot of loyalty companies starting to transition and offering blockchain as one of the tools to track it. Uh, but because... I'm blockchain, you know, let's say for instance that, you know, I sign up with, you know, I won't use any names, but I'll sign up with a major loyalty company that's out there and um, they make an option for me to, to basically attach my MetaMask wallet to my profile on that loyalty uh, account. Uh, because it's, it's done that, now I have all my uh, access to all my transactions on the blockchain uh, within my MetaMask account, I'm using MetaMask as my wallet. Uh, it might be a trust wallet, could be all all kinds of various wallets within crypto that I could utilize that traces back all of my uh, recorded purchases for any brand, cross-brand, multi-chain, uh, all within one wallet, all within one decentralized place. So it gets really intriguing around what loyalty is going to look like in the next four or five years. If the loyalty companies that are out there right now are not already thinking about going in this direction, this will be a big whiff for for the restaurant industry because it's going to be huge uh, for me, the, that potential. Give me one resource, one uh, company, one like if I if I'm a restaurant tour and I want to get take advantage of this specifically relative to uh, loyalty, <laughs> give me a place to start. Well, there's no no loyalty programs out there that have implemented blockchain yet. I've, I've heard, and I'll, I won't say names, but there's been a handful that have inquired even to us. What is kind of the next step for us to take and look at loyalty uh, implementation around blockchain? Uh, so I think they're starting to uh, entertain it, but to my knowledge, nobody's done it just yet. We are that early. So the resources pay attention to revernetwork.com and as soon as there is information, you'll be uh, the first to know. So yeah. Just, I mean, if you look at, at what Gary V is doing with NFTing his restaurants in New York. Uh, that's just the, I mean, it, to me, when I look at that model, it's advanced, but in reality. Fish concept, what's the name of the, the restaurant? I think it's a something, it's a, it's a fish concept, I want to say. Yeah, like, there's a couple that he has, he's launched, but he's built a, basically an NFT model for a reservation that's a standing reservation, uh, which again is just another way to raise capital 
on future reservations, which could you imagine ever imagine raising capital on future reservations? I don't even want to <laughs> around that. <laughs> um, I mean, but that's a thing. But the, but you know what? Here's the thing. At the same time, like a reservation holds value, and that's one thing the restaurant industry has been yep. super guilty of yep. is we don't value our assets. Mm-hmm. Uh, a reservation at uh, I think you see talk doing a really great job of recognizing this and trying to do something about it. A reservation on a Friday night has more value than a reservation on Tuesday for lunch, and Probably. I. Think, and we should be leveraging our assets. We don't do a good job at that. So tools like this, like you know, like crypto or Bitcoin or NFT, mm-hmm. like enable us to instantaneously leverage our assets to the fullest potential. And that, that's the kind of stuff that excites me. Yeah, here's a, here would be a good resource. Is let's say for a restaurant that had a little bit of knowledge around tech and was forward leaning enough, uh, they could they could launch an NFT. Um, project for their restaurant. Let's just use uh, Michael's Genuine here in Miami. If if Chef Michael Swartz says, okay, listen, Paul, we want to launch an NFT for all of our, our Michael's Schwartz restaurants here in Miami. The NFT is going to be uh, Friday night, 7.30 reservations. And I've got 10 for each restaurant. I'm going to basically create an NFT ticket that I'll launch on OpenSea which is where I'll be able to actually layer in a smart contract, build the little digital asset. And that NFT now becomes something that I can sell and it becomes auctionable. Here's the cool part is now it becomes potentially tradable between guests. So let's say I own the NFT today and I have a buddy of mine that's coming in town and says, listen, I need a, I need a seven o'clock Friday night and I want to go to MGD. I'm like, no problem. Let me send you my NFT, which is my reservation that I paid a thousand dollars for that I own two thousand dollars because you want to go too. And how about it? Yeah. So, or if I sell it, so the the value here's the beautiful thing about NFTs is that they can put a traceable uh, creator tax or not tax, but res- residual upon it. So up to ten percent of that uh, sale. Let's say I sell that NFT to Pitbull, and I sell it for fifty thousand dollars because it is become a hot restaurant all of a sudden and it's kind of come out of nowhere and it's a new chef and everybody wants a reservation. This happens in New York all the time with Mark Forgione when he first came up. I mean, if you look at all of those guys, how they were, were bust onto the scene. Um, now that NFT, that, that reservations were 10 grand for the high rollers. Okay. Um, and if, if a restaurant is smart, they're building, um, utility around these NFTs. So if you buy this NFT, you're going to get a chef's table. You're going to get a SOM selection of one of our two best wines that we've brought in that's only accessible for VIP. You're also going to get X, Y, and Z. Then you're going to get uh, additional loyalty components. So you could start to see how this all ties in to value proposition. So here's another place where I see this being relative. So I think a big part of the future of the restaurant industry is going to be memberships, right? Yes. So So I'm a restaurateur who's a hot deal in town, right? Everybody wants my restaurant. I have membership. I operate off of a membership model where I can only really, I have the bandwidth to to have a hundred members in my network. Yep. The more popular I get, the more valuable that NFT becomes. And I can have a hundred members that are my guests yep. that I take care of. They're my people in one membership could be theoretically $30,000 a year. 
Yeah, and you're you're also gaining residual value for every time that token and uh, it, it can increase in value. The more yes. the more high demand you become, and I think this is the kind of stuff that I this is how I see it being like valuable. Um, yeah, just, well, and, and as you build it, uh, you can start to really implement new utility into um, into the NFTs. So let's say you layered in, you know, a gold NFT, a platinum NFT, a silver NFT layer. Um, and on the platinum layer right now, it has one, two, three utility. Sure. You get the reservation, you get some other assets, but let's say now the restaurant's doing great and you want to do an airdrop to all your platinum NFT holders to do, you know, a private cruise here in the Biscayne Bay and only platinum holders can get access to that. Now that becomes a marketing engine. So your your platinum holder NFTs now just went up in value immediately. People are going to start trading that and start requesting it. So getting access to it. So people that have it listed on OpenSea are going to get offers for that um, for that NFT, that ticket, that membership, whatever you want to call it, that essentially starts to create more value within the restaurant itself. So um, loyalty could also be plugged into that with general membership. So it's no different now instead of you know, 100 NFTs, you have 100,000 that are available. And because you have one of those NFTs that you got for $4 from Starbucks, uh, now you get one free coffee a month or whatever it might be that has created a loyalty component. And if you do type payment into it, that's where it gets very intriguing and very interesting for a restaurant brand. And I think what we'll see in maybe the next two to three years is the creativity level. We are just literally at the genesis of what is happening right now. That's the beauty of it is, and I could tell people about this uh, all the time. I say, Hey, it's 1999 all over again. Yeah. And that's, that's when the, the internet started to, to take off for the reference. Yeah. Um, so I mean, we're, we're kind of jumping around. I think we, we kind of touched on payment just a little bit there. Yeah. Uh, safe to say, uh, we, we unpackaged loyalty pretty well. Um, I mean, reservations, I could think that kind of ties into payment. Uh, what about supply chain and food tracing? Have we, we touched on it. We mentioned a few times, but have we crystallized that yet? Well, I think blockchain just because of its traceability nature um, is a natural for supply chain uh, provenance. And especially because of its open nature, you're going to have the ability to know where um, sourcing is done from, there's no, I mean, it, the, the likelihood of fraud is almost impossible, if not yeah. impossible. And as opposed to what you do see in a lot of fraud right now in seafood, you see fraud in, um, you know, high quality meats, whether it's a Wagyu or something of that nature in terms of premium cuts, all of those kind of things could be eliminated pretty easily for chefs and for operators, but also for consumers, because that can start to roll down into apps that would have blockchain connectivity that would show provenance of wine, uh, certain cuts of beef, certain certain uh, species of uh, fish, whether or not it's farmed or wild caught. All those kind of things could be eliminated uh, with blockchain technology. Yeah, I see this being big in the direction the industry is going with, as far as uh, just conscious capitalism and people being yes. intentional with their dollar. Like now they yeah. know. I only want to like I I I have confidence in knowing I'm supporting the right thing because there's so much trackability and we can support the right brands and I think that's right. Good. Yeah, um, very okay. much so. Branding. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you, what do we what do we mean by branding and how this affects branding? Get into that. 
Oh. Yeah. So the, the metaverse is probably going to be the most, um, the most, I would, I would actually say this is the biggest opportunity since launching a website for a brand. Um, it's like launching a website for your restaurant for the very first time, but you're doing it in a new space that is known as Web3. Um, today, that might be, let me go build a voxel community on Sandbox next to Snoop Dogg. And because of just my awareness of people going in there, they're going to see my brand. And what all it has community. What is sandbox? Just to make okay. sure. All right. So sandbox is uh, essentially a metaverse game. Got it. Uh, Snoop Dogg did a deal with sandbox to essentially uh, build virtual land, uh, his estate inside this game. Now this is a game that uh, think of it as a ready player one. And all of those assets inside ready player one are exchangeable in real world, as well as in the virtual world. So whatever you collect in the real world, you might build, be building up assets or tokens for Starbucks. In, mirror almost like the things you have in the real world, you can mirror in this digital world. And absolutely. And- sure. Yeah. It's just uh, another component of, and think of it as, is today your bank account is completely digital. Um, you don't really have dollars in there. You just have a number that's in your app. And um, that's kind of think of that in a, in a way for uh, metaverse in the sense of whether you're doing uh, some sort of at digital asset uh, creation or um, the interface. you're trying, yeah, you're trying to get to a digital asset such as maybe, um, you know, some kind of cool loyalty program with Starbucks or with any, any brand that's out there, but you've got to create, create certain elements in the gameplay uh, that would allow you to do that. So what, what's happening with, um, with sandbox, which is, one of probably the most innovative metaverse plays out there. It's a project by Animoca Brands, which is a company that is investing a ton into this space. Uh, but Sandbox has done partnerships uh, with Warner Music, uh, which they're going to be doing music experiences in there. Uh, we'll see more and more brands start to flow in that. And eventually, I think artists will start to move into this space as well in a big way. Uh, you've already got Tom Brady doing his own NFTs. You've got Drew Brees. Uh, a lot of the sports figures have started to figure, hey, this is a new way to leverage, you know, additional capital. So, yeah, good stuff. It's interesting. Um, so, for brand, it's basically just a way for when you, when you again back to this idea of branding. It's a way to. I don't even know if I can find the words to explain it, but it it really is no different. I think it, you have to look back in uh, in about two thousand four or 2005, everybody was building on websites. They, they barely had e-commerce. Okay. And then social media came and okay. everybody looked at social media and said the exact same thing. Why do I need this? What's the purpose of, of having a, a Facebook page? What's the purpose of having a Twitter account? Um, this is essentially what we're dealing with right now in the transition to web three is what's the purpose and the purpose is, if you're going to be relevant and you're going to be where the masses are eventually, then this will be the early stage. So yeah. right now, it is truly the gold rush. Imagine if you could have got the first four, you know, four-letter uh, Twitter, Eric, at Eric on Twitter. Yeah, I'm getting it. So, so I think the most simplest way to, to put this, like your brand is literally wherever it's, it's, it's wherever your images, your colors, your logos exist. Mm-hmm. Sure. So just like your brand can stay just on the, the, the sign in front of your restaurant, you can then put it on a t-shirt. 
And now your brand exists on that t-shirt. And yep. the next wave was the internet. Now you can put your brand on the internet. And when you digitize something, the sky's the limit. Um, yep. And that's what the internet did for the brands. You could, you could, your brand could stretch to Tokyo if you lived in Boston, right? right? It's, it's, it's limitless. And now this is, this is the 3.0 for branding where you, you can now put your brand on this, just like you're putting your brand on a t-shirt, you're putting your brand yep. on the metaverse, the metaverse. So you have more reach and what you can do with that brand the, again, now is like, it's like a paradigm shift. Yeah. Imagine that if you had a website today, let's just think in, in web two terms, because that's what everybody is in today. If you had a website that collected every visitor's information, knew every visitor's transaction history, every visitor's uh, speed of transactions in food, how many, how many uh, meals a week they had been eating. And then every visitor on your website could also engage with your brand in other ways, merch, uh, you know, um, what other ways could they, uh, let's buy recipes, let's buy uh, additional property. Yeah. Additional services, all those kind of things that, um, but you, but you, in most cases, you, you don't have any of that today on web two or access to a community. Okay, perfect. So uh, they they visit to the website. All they see is their environment because they're a one to one connection in a website. They don't see the the eighty other people that are in there placing an order at that same time on your e commerce system. In the metaverse, all of that is revealed. So essentially, you know how many people are at that space. It's kind of like a, a good restaurant in New York. You walk down the street, you see a line out the door. Something's up, right? Something's up with that restaurant. So imagine that in the metaverse. But but if you do it in e-commerce, you don't know that there's a line out the street. You don't know that there's a line for uh, food today at that restaurant at that lunch hour because you're doing it all virtually in an app. Um, mm. So all you see is a one-to-one experience. The metaverse fixes that. It gives you now uh, a completely three-dimensional experience that's completely different than what we will know in the future, it really is at some point will be a ready player one type environment. I do believe that, that we're going to see that it's going to happen. I'm still saying my question that I wrote earlier. It's tied to this, um, yeah. but there's two elements on the list of things I wanted to cover that we haven't tapped into yet. I don't think HR in culinary aspects, yeah. but real quick, one more quick break to thank our sponsor. We'll be back to um, unpackage HR and culinary aspects. And we're going to try to wrap those up quick so we can take some questions and, and have some sure. Questions dialogue. This episode is brought to you by DiagioBarAcademy.com, a free online resource for hospitality professionals, offering resources for bartenders at all levels. And this February 2022 is Diageo Bar Academy's 10-year anniversary. Congratulations. And over the past 10 years, Diageo Bar Academy has built a global community fueled by education and inspiration. During this time, over 120 million bar professionals across 178 countries has joined Diageo Bar Academy in physical and virtual training 
sessions. Whether you are a bartender, bar back, or manager, or even if you're completely new to the industry, Diageo Bar Academy has easy-to-access resources to help you learn new skills or stay in the loop with all the latest industry trends. Speaking of trends, make sure you head over to DiageoBarAcademy.com to check out the top trends for 2022 and beyond. Inspiration for seasonal recipes in low slash no ABV serves, which is pretty popular right now. Thousands of recipes for all styles of cocktails, e-learning and masterclasses available on demand in weekly newsletters so you are always in the know. Diageo Bar Academy provides everything you need to improve your career in the industry, diverse content featuring experts from around the globe, member-only exclusive content and events, in ABV calculators, large format cocktails, and profit calculators to boot. There's so many tools for you. Stay informed, inspired, and connected to grow your career or business by joining Diageo Bar Academy today. Why wait? Visit www.diageobaracademy.com. That's D-I-A-G-E-O baracademy.com. Become a member and sign up for the newsletter today. It's completely free and you'll be amazed at all they have to offer. That's D-I-A-G-E-O baracademy.com. Today's episode is brought to you by Seven Shifts. Seven Shifts is a modern labor management platform designed by restaurateurs for restaurateurs. And effective labor management is more important than ever to ensure profitability and restaurant success, especially with this labor shortage. You need to rely and trust technology more than ever before. And dialing in your labor management is one of the most positive, dramatic impacts you can make on your business's bottom line. And when it comes to labor management, Seven Shifts is one of the most, if not the most, organically recommended labor management platforms on the show. Trusted by over 500,000 restaurant professionals, Seven Shifts gives you the complete toolkit you need to easily manage your team's schedules, timesheets, communication, tasks, tips, and more all from one place. Best of all, Seven Shifts integrates with the POS and payroll system you're already using, like Toast, to make smart operating decisions and turn labor management into a competitive advantage for your business. Restaurant Unstoppable members get three months absolutely free. Get started at www.7shifts.com slash unstoppable. That's the number seven s h i f t s dot com slash unstoppable to get three months of industry leading labor management for free we're back and let's get into it hr and coloring aspects let's start with hr how how is blockchain going to affect hr human resources all right so uh, blockchain is going to affect hr in the same way that linkedin affected H- hr is traceability uh certification and community uh, it'll it'll essentially be the same thing in the same way. So imagine if you had a solution in HR today that tied in all your LinkedIn profiles, all your social media profiles, all your financial profiles, all in one place. And the ability it's for buying you yourself as an asset. Yes, you you are the asset now. Um, so so now you because of your quality level, uh, your CV, and your performance history, you should be worth more. Uh, at the same time, a company wants you and should want you more than the, the next person. So the opportunity there within blockchain 
and within the metaverse start to become real because it gives you a new three-dimensional aspect of a person yeah, and also of a company. So think of it from the, the, the aspect of if you're searching for, listen, I want the most tech forward uh, Gen Z's or millennials that are out there to work for me. And I'm a new restaurant operator and I need that kind of level of people to advance up in my ranks. Where am I going to go look for that? You know, I can go look on Twitter. I can go look on uh, TikTok. I can try to find somebody on LinkedIn in certain ways. But if that exists in metaverse, then it's a new treasure trove of early adopters, tech forward thinkers, and people that are essentially challenging the status quo, which might be a perfect you know, checklist for the kind of people you want. Yeah. Um, so it kind of opens up a, a really cool, interesting spot. In the way that I'm thinking about this, just as a reservation increases in value with demand, um, mm-hmm. also you have multiple companies looking at you and jockeying for you, all of a sudden your value goes up. Absolutely. Yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah. Um, can we wrap up HR? Well, I think that's the component. It's it builds you an asset, or it builds you if you're an employee as a digital asset to a brand. And in at some point, we'll start to see uh, scenarios where HR recruiting, um, HR provenance, meaning you know to what level you were able to climb in a certain rest a restaurant or organization. All of that gets revealed in a unique and different way. And people would be able to, to essentially kind of um, really understand your entire CV other than it being just on a piece of paper or in a LinkedIn profile. So I think there's going to be a lot of uh, innovation in how HR starts to interface with this. Right now, HR is really kind of uh, innovating in areas like LinkedIn, uh, getting more uh, involved in, in really understanding how to connect with the right kind of people in LinkedIn. I think LinkedIn... Most likely, if they're smart, um, we'll probably see them jump to the metaverse within the next five years, and you'll have a profile in the metaverse via LinkedIn. It's wild. Um, so it's it's just a matter of time before we'll start to see that transition. Yeah. Okay. Culinary aspect. How how is the metaverse or not the metaverse um, blockchain NFT is going to affect the culinary aspect? So to me, this is probably one of the most intriguing aspects of food service because. The problem that most chefs and brands have is securing a recipe. Um, you make a dish, the chef down the street can copy it if he comes in and has dinner at your restaurant. So imagine if you could create a um, a blockchain origin NFT around a dish that starts to create a provenance for your culinary creation. And, and maybe you're Frankie up at, you know, I uh, can't remember the place in Toronto that, um, but he creates these pieces of art that essentially are drinks. What, what do you mean by um, provenance? Creates a provenance. So, so it's like having the, the fake dish or the real dish. Okay. You have the, the real, um, you know, the origin. Uh, yeah. You have the real Wolfgang Puck or you have the knockoff Wolfgang Puck. All right. So the provenance of the real, Wolfgang Puck's recipe, I think, and or culinary creation is going to be of value. And I think that will be something that will start to become very interesting, especially in areas where chefs are starting to share their recipes with the world, uh, like Food Network, all these companies 
that essentially are are doing that. Today, they're doing it via content. Imagine if you could start doing that via a blockchain signature or an NFT. With content, and, I was the first one to share this. I was the first one to document it. But with NFTs, the documentation is automatic because of the tracing capabilities. So you can bingo. say, okay, got it. I'm yeah. Paul. And the the origination of it. So let's say that um, uh, you know Wolfgang Puck says, listen, I'm going to create a new dish today. And I'm going to create 100 NFTs of this recipe. And that dish now becomes a piece of art. Instead of just a dish that everybody gets to share, it now becomes a true piece of art. And in my opinion, culinary is that. In many cases, it's coming from creators' minds. They've worked you know, decades to understand the nuances of flavors and ingredients and spice and all these things. That essentially, when they serve it to you, it's like a piece of art if it's done right. Okay. See, see, I'm interested in this for what I do because I feel like yeah. one of the cool things about what I get to do at the restaurant Unstoppable is I really try to let the 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 community of restaurant tours dictate who I talk to, which is why I ask all my guests, "Who do you respect and admire and believe should be made an example of?" So now I can digitize the the moment in time I took that person who hasn't been discovered and shared their story, <laughs> brought them to the mainstream. And that can be yeah. art. Yes. Yeah. How sure. do I, how do I, how do I put, how do I get that essence of a, a conversation of a story being told and how do I put tokens to that? Oh, that's so easy. That's, that's like, you know, rowing a boat easy. <laughs> I'll be my mentor. Oh, me know. We have, we have rapport. Wow. <laughs> so in, uh, in my, in, you know, I would, I would give this to any, any chef or any brand operator. Let's say it's a brand new brand that's trying to create something and uh, they just create an NFT on open seat. Look for your case, it's an audio file, or maybe it's a video clip um, of that interview that you create on open you create as an NFT, you, you tie a smart contract to it. Um, and then you put it up on, you know, Eric's uh, NFT on OpenSea store. Think of it like Etsy for Eric and Unstoppable uh, for all these little NFTs that are, uh, you know, the first time uh, Paul Barron was interviewed on blockchain. You can own that NFT. Uh, that NFT is worth $1.50 <laughs> or 1500 whatever it might be in the future. Could you imagine if you, if you had the NFT of, uh, someone like Mark Cuban saying, listen, we're going to accept Dogecoin at the Dallas Mavericks. And he did that on CNBC. And if CNBC created NFT for that, now it's it's piece of 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 um, internet lore, so to speak. But yeah, it becomes, maybe it's valuable at some point. Maybe it's not. Uh, but could you imagine if you had someone like, um, I don't know, um, Think about the history of just fast casual. Let's look at Steve Ells. Uh, Steve Ells created or his first interview on uh, the creation of Chipotle. His first interview after they reached a thousand units. Um, those kinds of things could be easily created as as art. Uh, but I think in culinary, we're going to see a lot more of this just because of its tie into visual and immersive experiences that eventually will become AR VR. Um, Apple's already working on this. They will most likely be the one that brings the iPhone VR concept to VR glasses that they're making breakaway. Yeah. I think that will be the first entry point into the metaverse, which uh, just like Apple, Apple's an interesting 
uh, angle because they have not uh, they have not played their card yet on metaverse. They're waiting patiently, I think. So, so could Main- I easily, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. Mainly to, I think, show up Zuckerberg. Well, uh, so, I, so one thing, so with, with say again, back to like the podcast, I started a restaurant mm-hmm. stoppable in 2012 because there is a, a digital track record there. Could yep. I then go back in time sure. and tag all those things as absolutely. Yeah. You'd want to, uh, to create an NFT library just for those, those That's moments cool in time. Apple has so much data and content already on it. I feel like you can just go back and like, I guess, catalog. Yeah, for sure. But I think that's going to be the element uh, for culinary is um, right now. It's still a 2d experience. At some point, Wolfgang puck will be, will have a 3d experience inside the metaverse. And that 3d experience will be, um, you know, it could be a master creation that could be one of the best dishes ever, you know, served in his restaurants. And now you own the NFT and the value of that NFT is uh, subjective because it's like any other piece of art. Yeah. Okay. So I have a couple more questions and we can start to wrap it up. Um, one question I have, and uh, Bob, I know you have questions too. So I'm, I'm interested to see how this goes. Um, Bob always has the greatest questions or the opinions, I should say too, as well. Uh, yep. They're really solid. But one thing that I'm curious about, and uh, I'm sure you're familiar with um, Moore's Law, right? Somebody who's a futurist, yep. there's Moore's Law, the computing, yep. technology, technology, wow, technology improves at an exponential rate. Um, Sometimes I wonder if if technology is going to get to the point where it's improving so fast, so incredibly fast that AI. Well, here's the other thing. Humans only evolve at a linear rate in a very slow Mm -hmm. linear rate. Right now. Right Right now. now. Until we start to interface with technology, which is the the idea is like we're going to become cyborgs and yeah if you look at what musk is doing with Neuralink, uh that that likelihood is real um but you i don't know. think it's, i think it's gonna take a while because if you know the first people that start doing that it's not going to be perfect the connection between neuro and technologies i feel like there's going to be some no no doubt no doubt i mean just to go to that level i mean you already see a lot of the anti-aging uh investments that jeff bezos is doing a lot of these billionaires have started to realize that listen they're mortal and the one thing they have more than anything is money, not time. To and figure out the problems. Yeah. Yeah. They're going to figure these out. Just like uh, Musk, you know, his whole goal is to die on Mars. And I think this guy's going to do it. Yeah. You know, in the essence of, of actually make, making Mars. it there. Yeah. Could you um, imagine that's your mission? I'm going to die on Mars. What well, if we get there and you're not the only person there and you want to be the first person to die on Mars? <laughs> I have to make drastic uh, actions. Um, Some adjustments. So- <laughs> so back to this idea of being, I, th- I think humans might be a governing variable for a while in the sense that, yes, the technology is improving at, at an exponential rate, but until we're able to interface humanity in the subconscious and the, yeah. just the brain, I think we're going to hit a firewall at some point. Where- I, don't, I don't know that I would agree with that because I think quantum computing changes that. Um, quantum computing is something that our mind it has yet to well i mean obviously the best technologist in the world understand it and why it will change humanity um but quantum community computing if if it in fact is close like what a lot of people will allude that it is including google um that will be an unbelievable hyper shift in technology advancement for the human race yeah um so the idea of Quantum physics, in my understanding of quantum physics, you have one dimensional, which is just flat, two dimensional, which is vertical, three dimensional, which is now 
you have shape to it. And then the fourth dimension is perspective. Yes. Like this might be my perspective of, of that three-dimensional object, but you on the other side of the room have a con- completely, completely yeah. different perspective of that same object from where you are. That's my understanding of, of quantum physics, because once you get to perspectives, the sky is the limit in any. Form. Yeah. Yeah. So I think what does, what does that mean for computers? Yeah. I think the, the scenario that we'll be facing in the next two decades is um, both quantum uh, achievement and also AI. And when you combine those two elements together, um, in essence, if you can live for the next 20 years, I think disease is gone. Um, I think the problems of humanity, war, space travel, and beyond is within the reach of maybe the generation that has been born already that are walking around on this planet today. Uh, But they're kids, you know, they're my children, five, six years old. But in 80 years, those kinds of things for that uh, generation and the generation yet to come, I think is doable, but it's based on what is being done right now at probably some of the best, you know, computer labs out there in the world. And a lot of blockchain will in, be involved in this because it's one of the, the true breakthrough technologies that uh, Satoshi uh, was able to create. And uh, it's much like what uh, Tim Berners-Lee, when he first really kind of created what we would know as the World Wide Web. Yeah, uh, That's the kind of evolution that we're seeing. And, and in reality, all of this is still child's play. Yeah. I mean, obviously, I, re- I, I respect your opinion. You know a lot about this, but there's a part of me that feels like still there's some hesitance that I feel like there's certain like human beings evolved millions and millions of years to, to be the, our best form of ourselves 10,000 years ago. Then all of a yeah. sudden, after the agricultural re- revolution, things just started to change. Exactly. And, well, look at the exponential rate and in terms of advancement in the last 200 years. Yeah. Um, but I wonder if we're going to hit a point where yes, we can do all this stuff. And yes, it's exciting. We can do all this stuff, but is it going to mean, is it necessarily going to mean we're going to be happier? Are we going to be able to, to, well, yeah, you're getting into some real, um, or heady, evolution. Yeah. Like, are we, yeah. yeah, yeah. Are, are now we you're talking about, you we're just like, where we just can't like, it's just not how we're meant to be. It's not how we're, cause even I could argue, even with the digitization of just like even social media and now, mm-hmm. you know, Dunbar's number, we can only manage 150 relationships. So yeah. as a result of having access to so many people, the quality of our relationships are being diluted. And well, that's only if you're using the access to those people in the physical means, if you're using it through three dimensional means that completely changes the, the, the so access. What do you mean by three dimensional means? Like, uh, like, like in a, a VR? No. Well, in the early stages, I think in the primitive era of evolution, we'll be utilizing VR, you know, as a way to interface quicker. But at some point, you know, we're going to get into scenarios where uh, the human mind is going to be communicating in multidimensional phases rather than what we're seeing right now. So much like what you, whether you call it telekinetics or ESP or those kinds of things, eventually it's just unlocking the brain Quantum quantum computing and AI will help that occur. I guess what I'm saying is I think we're coded in a, to a certain degree to get the most out of a relationship in person because of all the things that are happening on the Only level. today. Uh, only today. I don't know how long it's going to take us to get to that point <laughs> where me being in the same room with you, like maybe a hundred years. I'm not going to be able to smell your pheromones virtually, like maybe possibly, but you know, but there's, there's just so much <laughs> that we don't know about right now that happens in real life that we're still figuring out as far as 
yes, like being able to communicate uh, subconsciously. Uh, mm-hmm. I can't words not coming to my mind, but like there's little things like this that we're just like, wow, like there's so much we're learning about ourselves just now. In yeah. and, and that's the idea of like I guess like relativity or like quantum physics, where like yeah, we're learning more about. Um, the, the world of evolution and digitally evolving, but we're also learning more about organics and the, and the, the depth of organics in the physical real world. And like how, how far that, how deeply that cuts, you know? Right. Um, so it's this weird world. Like we're, we're learning so much in so many different directions and it's getting, it's like the more I learn, the more I realize I don't know anything. And it's so, <laughs> oh, as soon as the government kind of creates their own non-fungible token, that mm-hmm. this is all going to dissolve. And this is just a fad or a trend. Um, maybe I'm over simplifying. Yeah. yeah, I would say I would say that um, you know a, a CBDC, central bank digital currency, um, is a good potential, but I think that it will run in unison with this uh, asset class in in general, um, because the key there is a lot of people immediately just drift to the fact that crypto is currency and really look past the idea that crypto is beyond just currency. Uh, if it's a Bitcoin, it's gold. I mean, gold exists besides, beside the dollar. Uh, there will be a digital gold, and I believe that's going to be Bitcoin or Ethereum. Uh, there will be a digital silver. There will be a digital value in a lot of these kinds of assets that will coexist within all fiat systems, uh, digital or otherwise, uh, no different. I think it's just a new asset class that is just being recognized. You, you see too much going into the space for this to turn back now. Yeah. So, uh, Bob, when you, I mean, go ahead and unmute your mic. Keep in mind, we got three minutes. So really try to come with a question. Yeah. So, You're okay. Yeah, no, I mean, I'm just going to expand upon you know, the comment that I made initially, uh, I, I posted on the network the last week's White House activity in regards to all it is and right. the, the Fed's reaction and they're not in a hurry and blah, blah, blah. It's going to take them a little a little time to get their, their hands on everything. But uh, I, I disagree with Paul in regards to the... Uh, letting Bitcoin and, and Ethereum and a couple of the other cryptos exist. They're going to want to control this. They're going to want to centralize it. So you're saying you, the, the whole yeah. idea of centralization is going to be. Yeah, it's okay. So the, the problem and the fallacy with that, that uh, thought is that you're assuming the United States has control of this. So to be able to control something, you've got to be able to lock it down. The only thing you would do in that scenario is lock down the citizens of the United States from having access to those kinds of assets. If that is done at the stage in which crypto has been evolved to today in 2021, 22 is it would be like locking down the internet in 1999 from American citizens not to not be able to use it, but the rest of the world can use it. The rest of the world would advance. China would become the superpower. Russia would become a superpower. All of the South American countries, including India, Singapore, Asia, all of which have embraced uh, blockchain technologies, would essentially, uh, we'd be living in the 1960s, the United States, uh, behind what the rest of the world is doing in terms of advancement. So everybody concerns themselves with currency when in reality, the likelihood is this is going to be a coexisting model in which 
uh, U.S. citizens and in, in companies will be able to, at some point, legally uh, invest in these assets uh, here in the United States, rather than just buying a token on Coinbase uh, or something of that nature. So that that is um, it, it, the control. Sure, the the U.S. government, along with many other G7 countries, G8 countries, will want to control any kind of means of fiat. But uh, and they've been successful to do that uh, with the history of gold, but the likelihood and because of the decentralization of cryptocurrency in general, especially Bitcoin, um, I think it's unstoppable. Well, do you think that the hierarchy with, uh, you know, the the White House report is like the first line of it is an executive order, which scares the hell out of me. Yeah, right. Uh, But, you know, they could just make it illegal or make mm-hmm. it typical. Well, we'll let you exist, but there's going to be regulations. Oh, sure. And yeah, I think have to, you have to go through the CBDC in order to exist. Um, <clears throat> well, no. I, I mean, a, a CBDC is essentially taking a fiat dollar into a digital format. Um, for a central bank digital currency, of course, at the same time, you'd have to pretty much eliminate the banking system as it's known today for that to occur, unless they became branch, branches of the central bank, which could happen. Well, I mean, um, the point that I'm making is because I'm really familiar with this space because I was the CFO of uh, Hotspot, which did the platform for the planet for digital for currency exchange. And in some instances, they could easily just write a law that says you need to convert to their NFT or digital dollar in order yep. to transact. And for some of the listeners who are on my level, CBC <laughs> stands for Central, Central Bank. Bank. Central Bank Digital Currency. Basically, yeah, Central Bank Digital Currency. Versus having it decentralized, open. Yep. Yeah, so uh, Central Bank it, it, Digital Currency is is kind of the argument that I think everybody's making on a, on a global level because all all nation states are trying to develop a CBDC, um, whether it's Russia. China has already done it with the digital yuan. Um, this has already been in, in, in case. Now, if you look at China, what they've done is it's not illegal to own crypto. It's illegal to trade it on uh, platforms. The reason is, is they've tried to isolate in the digital yuan uh, as the accepted digital currency. But the Chinese citizens still have the capability to uh, essentially own crypto so they can own Bitcoin. So now there's is that the reason our, our friends in the in the Fed are not so in a hurry to do things? They're they're watching China's model. I don't know that that is the case. I really think it. Um, you know, I've had Tom Emmers, um, Congressman Emmers, on my show here. I would suggest everybody listen to that uh, that interview. He's a Republican, yes, of course, but. Um, send me that link and I'll, I'll be sure to include it. In the yeah. Show. I'll send you a link to the video. It's a really good interview. And we've talked about it at length around what uh, Biden's administration is trying to do with just digital currencies in general, but more importantly, it's what the sec is doing. Uh, and all of this matters because how we, how we set up these ground rules right now uh, is much like what we did in, uh, t- in early 2000 of how Congress set up ground rules for the internet. It was very light touch, light touch to not stifle innovation. Right now, we are at the risk, and this, this has happened in several of the congressional hearings that we've seen over the past um, three months, uh, when 
many of the blockchain leaders around the world came in front of Congress and said, listen, the United States for the first time in the history of our company country is behind in terms of technology advancement around the world. So it's likely that we'll see India, um, easily Asia, uh, and it will be the Malaysian Peninsula that will do it. Uh, South America, I think we'll see more spread from what's happening in El Salvador that will eventually make um, Bitcoin legal legal tender. Um, And if we see more and more of that, along with uh, issues of legalization around the innovation layer of blockchain. Let's just forget about currency for a second. Just think innovation of what blockchain can do in terms of the tech. Um, that's the one that concerns me the most. I'm, I'm much less more concerned about currency displacement as opposed to technology uh, opportunity. Yeah. And the one thing I just want to make sure I, I clarify for people, and I'm still learning a lot about this, but one of the reasons why governments want to centralize this is because typically the way governments work is by tracking and getting a cut. And if they control it, they, it's harder for them. It's easier for them to get the cut, but if they don't control it, they can't get their cut to. Yeah. If this goes into uh, right now, the problem is you cannot print more current, more cryptocurrency in the essence of Bitcoin. Now there are some projects out there that you can do that with, but a, a digital, a centralized uh, digital dollar or a CBDC is no different than a fiat system. You can still, you can still create more tokens. We'll call them uh, digital dollars just like you can in the system today that we've basically overinflated our economy with, you know, this massive printing. So this is still a problem from an economic uh, standpoint that I think is one that has yet to be uh, completely resolved. But besides all of the financial side of things, let's just think about what is driving the tech behind this. Cause that to me is the underlying it's imagine if you were the U S government in, in, and I mean, DARPA was really the creator of the internet anyway. So that was the U S government that created it, turned it loose on the United, you know, in the United States. And eventually, you know, we have what we have, but they, they did a very light touch. They let innovation run rampant and the United States became the greatest country in the world because of our technology prowess without a doubt. Um, China was chasing us. Russia was chasing us. Every uh, every first world country on the planet was chasing the United States over the past two decades. Um, that's the problem that I see as the most um, worrisome to me is that we could lose that position. Yeah. Paul, thank you so much for taking the time to join us. Hey, Bob, thank you for the great uh, interaction as well at the end here. And um, just so I want to let the listeners know if they want to connect with you, what's the best way to connect? Uh, it's easy. Just hit me up on Twitter. It's at Paul Barron. Um, you know, DM me there. I, I usually answer all the DMs I can. So, if you want to stay up to breast with all the latest and greatest with with, with this, what's happening with Bitcoin and blockchain, I highly recommend you guys follow uh, Rebel Network. Paul's doing great stuff over there, as well as Foodable Network uh, is doing an amazing job and just creating awesome content. I, I follow you guys. I get a lot of inspiration from you guys. Uh, and I'm I'm happy to have you guys in my network for sure. Uh, and who do you respect and admire right now in the world of restaurants, specifically around blockchain and what's happening? And who should who should I get on the show? Call them out. You know, I think uh, it's ironic. Chipotle, I think, has been uh, if you if you look at what Brian Nichol has done just there in his short period of time of transitioning transitioning Chipotle to a much more digital brand. 
If there is going to be an early mover, it most likely will come either from Chipotle. McDonald's may play in the space a little bit, but I feel like uh, you know Brian Nickel is probably the guy that could um, bridge that gap. Touch with Brian Nickel by any chance, would you? <laughs> you I might say something off, off camera. <laughs> All right. Thank you very much, Paul. This has been a great conversation. There is no questioning. You are unstoppable. There we go. Another episode wrapped up here at Restaurant Unstoppable. Thank you so much to today's guest, Paul Barron, for joining us, uh, for contributing to the conversation. Uh, Definitely an expert in the world of restaurants, technology, and uh, I'm really excited for you, Paul, carving out this new you know, groove this new path for yourself in the world of NFTs and blockchain uh, media that you're putting out. So if you guys are not following Paul Barron, whether it's on the Revel network or Foodable IO or Foodable network, uh, not exactly what he prefers to go by, but those are two media outlets, Foodable Network and Revel Network, that if you want to be following the restaurant industry and just what's happening over there, and if you're, if you're really interested in the world of blockchain and NFTs, uh, Revel Network is a great solution uh, or a great media outlet for you to learn. So go go subscribe to those YouTube channels. You guys will not regret it. I promise you that. And uh, I mean, this is really a great example of the kind of content I want to start going after, uh, really going after the people who are thought leaders in certain verticals of the industry that are inevitable. Uh, So by that, I mean blockchain and robotics and turning the restaurant industry upside down and and challenging the status quo. And that's really what I mean by empowerment and transformation. When I talk about the mission statement to inspire, empower and transform the industry is is talking about this stuff and, and not making it strange and bringing an industry that is notorious for being at the tail end of the bell curve to the front end of the bell curve. And I think if we can do that, if we can share this knowledge, if we can, if we can make this information available and, and close the, the knowledge gap, we can do a lot of great things for our industry. But you guys need to share it. You have to let other people know about this information. So please share today's episode uh, and make sure you tag me, Eric, E-R-I-C-C-A-C-C-I-A-T-O-R-E, Cacciatore, Eric Cacciatore is my handle. Tag me so I can thank you personally for spreading the word. And uh, we have some really cool things happening in the network next week. If you guys want to be a part of the conversation, this was a live event in the network next week where we have Lori Joe Jensen joining us to talk about critter control. Might get a little nasty, but it's important to talk about critters because they can screw you up if you don't if you don't get them under control. And then we're going to be connecting with Peter Wynn from Bomby Boys. If you guys enjoyed that episode and you want to connect with him, he'll be live in the network for some peer mentoring. All right, that's it for today. Thanks for sticking around this long. Until next time, peace out.